happy to have you here. Got so many cool things to talk about. I've got a couple remarks about an interesting public meeting in Massachusetts that occurred yesterday. Before I drone on about all my thoughts, Candace, I know you listened in. Would you be interested in giving the group a lowdown of what people were talking about in Massachusetts yesterday and maybe your synopsis? Not to put you on the spot or anything, but you're welcome to to share if you would like. Um, yeah, so the meeting uh, was held at, uh, it was a joint committee on uh, at the Boston State House uh, regarding cannabis policy. And um, they were asking for um, some data from the CCC. They were looking for averages, so pass fail on like pesticides and microbes and what have you, whereas I'm asking for absolute values of pesticides detected for every uh, product sold in Massachusetts, such as what they do in Florida by supplying medical patients with the compliance reports that show probably 50 uh, pesticide types and with absolute detection, not just, you know, meet state requirement, pass, fail. And Another thing that they're trying to do too is they're trying to uh, eliminate vertical marketing uh, so that uh, it's easier for dispensaries that are recreational to become medical. And, um, and there are other uh, items too on the bill. I'm really interested in the open data sets. And then also too, you know, there are others that are interested as well. So it was really great that the conversation was opened up. And there were other bills also but uh, such as, you know, with medical and what have you. But um, I, uh, I did not want to see a uh, physician in every dispensary. So I'm really kind of hoping that maybe doesn't get pushed through. Um, but I am pretty passionate about open data sets and that uh, patients need to be aware of the pesticides, growth hormones, any type of non-natural uh, additives added. But it, it was great. I recorded it, but so did Keegan. <laughs> it, there may even be a public recording online, so I'll point you all in the direction. But it was a real interesting discussion because, right, as Candace mentioned, and what has dominated a lot of the regulatory discussion is just market structure, which as an economist, I understand is really of utmost importance. That's kind of how the, the market shakes out. Um, you know, I'll need to, to read more in depth to give my two cents on that. And then, of course, there's always some sometimes nitpicky um, safety regulations that people are talking about. And um, I think some are being discussed there. But the predominant discussion, I think, well, at least half and half was about open data or access to data. And Candace raised several good points there just to to look at the glass half full real quick one thing that we had mentioned in the past was okay you know everybody's talking uh you know quality control quality control quality control um you know what does that mean and the people in the laboratory space they're real big fans of proficiency tests and accreditation and why is that well different reasons but my personal belief is, well, 
you know, if the laboratories aren't very scared of proficiency tests and accreditation, then they must be, you know, that must be like a fairly maybe low bar to jump over. Um, so, so that's my personal belief is, you know, most labs can pass a proficiency test. If you, you know, go through and check all the check boxes, you can get accredited. So there's a lot of accredited labs out there and there's a lot of proficiency testing. But people are still complaining like, ah, there's still this kind of sticky issue with the laboratory space. And so we said, okay, well, we're quants here, right? We're data analysts, data scientists. So couldn't we try to quantify what quality control even means? And we took a stab at it a, a few months ago. And basically, the, the simplest thing that we could think of was, let's just look at the, the outcomes at the different laboratories. And then let's look at the averages and use statistics, right? See if any of these averages of outcomes are different. And so, of course, people are interested in how people are measuring THC and CBD. But we noticed, okay, there's a wide variety, a wide variance in THC. It's pretty hard to conclude if anyone's statistically different on their THC average. So that's one thing. Then we started to look at, oh, maybe, maybe people are measuring contaminants differently because as Candace was mentioning, that's of importance to particularly medical consumers. And then we started to just notice right off the bat, which is what you want to notice in statistics. You, do, you don't want to have to really pull it out. But we noticed that it looked like there were some structural differences with how people were measuring microbes and mycotoxins. I don't think there was a, I don't remember actually if we looked at this uh, lab by lab variance in pesticides or residual solvents. Either I don't remember a big variance there or we didn't look at it, um, but we, I know we specifically looked at microbe testing and, you know, people were testing differently um, to the point where certain labs had like really high failure rates um, and some had very low failure rates. And we even looked at licensees and we saw some licensees even had really high failure rates. Um, some north of 50%, I want to say, I think that was atypical, but you would run into some licensees that maybe had 30% failure rates or some like 60% or more. I think there were some that had like a 100% failure rate, but maybe they just sent in four samples. Um, and like I said, that would be unfortunate for that licensee, because if you sent in four samples, they all failed, you're going to be in a tough boat economically. So, we basically said that could basically be a measure of quality control. Just compare yourself to the average. So if you're if you're a licensee and you're failing above average, then you may want to look at your facility and maybe ask some other people, try to find a consultant perhaps, and try to think about ways that you can maybe clean up your facility or lower your risk of failing. So that's uh, on the licensee side. And then on the lab side, we said, okay, 
people are always talking about standardization. They want standardized results. So similar thing with, with microbe testing. So say you're screening for microbes. Maybe uh, you notice another lab has a really low failure rate or a really high failure rate. Once again, maybe hire a consultant. Maybe you can call that laboratory up. They may not want to share their trade secrets or this or that. But you could start to you know, investigate like why, right? We're not saying anyone's doing anything wrong, but it's just, you know, just a place to start to look. Maybe the people who have a really high failure rate for microbes aren't doing it correctly. Maybe they're getting a lot of false positives. Um, whereas, you know, maybe the people who are getting no detections, maybe they're actually the ones measuring it the most accurately. Maybe they're laser focusing in on a particular microbe. So we're not saying anyone's wrong from just ha having the outcomes they do, but we just thought, okay, that would be an interesting place to just start looking. And, that and the other thing too is, is that Florida is so transparent, right? Keegan, you know, 18,000 COAs they have on their dispensary websites for patients, whereas Massachusetts, it took me four months to get the COAs for the Cureleaf uh, product purchase. So that's another thing in my testimony too, to the state house, uh, although I started to interrupt. Well, good point. And I'll, I'll do the, 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 the other side of the glass real quick, because we've got a couple things about Florida, but, uh, but the main takeaway is, you know, ask, right? So a lot of laboratories in the state have been asking for the data transparency. I think there is a couple testimonials, right? I think one was maybe the CEO of MCR labs, um, but various people spoke, some pro and some against. But as I said, it's good that the conversation's going there that you can at least ask. Candace did mention that ultimately, you know, these are just statistics. Um, and so this is get now gets to the, the sticky and the interesting part, right? Once you get to the statistics, things get controversial. But also, too, I'm a medical patient in both states. And in Florida, I can get access to all the COA and compliance test information for pesticides and, you know, the other analytes. And but in Massachusetts, I can't. So I'm really hoping that my testimony might add that medical uh, spin, you know, that as a snowbird, full transparency in Florida, no transparency really in Massachusetts. So I'm hopeful. <laughs> well, I'll just quit dancing around the subject and just go ahead and get all my, my remarks out there. Okay. Massachusetts. The, the regulations for the public to see these statistics, because that's sort of where the rubber meets the road was just actually having the right the the public or the the moot right uh in my opinion the public are the movers and the shakers right because the policymakers the regulators i think should already have access to these statistics this bill is just for the public to see them so 
I think the state, if they wanted to, they could already see if there's a discrepancy between failure rates from one lab to the other. But they don't have to do anything about it unless the public knows. So it's just like, so the regulators may know that one lab has a 0% failure rate and another lab has a 10% failure rate. But unless the public knows, they don't have to act on it. And so then it's basically as soon as the public knows that, hey, you know, why is like, what's going on here? Uh, this lab's detecting microbes, this one's not. Then the regulators actually get their feet held to the fire and then they actually have to go look at it. And then the laboratories, there was a really telling remark. One of the, the laboratory, maybe scientific officers spoke and there was a really telling remark where they basically, I may be uh, not paraphrasing correctly. So once again, double check the official record, but it was basically like, you know, we have to be a little cautious about, you know, letting the public see the data because they may not understand it and they may put a laboratory on blast, which is very scary. Well, that's sort of the point, right? We just mentioned that laboratories aren't scared of proficiency testing. You know, they're not scared of accreditation, but, you know, maybe it's okay for for laboratories to be a little scared, you know, that they may actually get, you know, called out if they're not, you know, testing properly. And I just think it's a, a little demeaning of the, the general public because I think a good way to go about life is to actually think of others as smart, super smart. In fact, I think it could even be in Dale Carnegie's, you know, uh, how to make friends and influence people. But you almost want to approach everyone as if they have something that they can share with you, right? They have some bit of knowledge out there. So there's tons of smart people in the general public. There's chemists, there's biologists, you know, just because they're not in the cannabis space doesn't necessarily mean they're not educated. And then it's also sort of like, uh, like I talked about the, the panopticon approach. And I was trying to think of an analogy and I'm sure there's better ones, but uh, I was thinking about speeding. Like, so if you knew, like say where every, uh, you know, police officer was, well, then you just wouldn't speed near them and you would just speed everywhere else. But the fact that there are, you know, some undercover cop cars here and there, you basically don't know wh which car is a potential police officer. So there may be no police officers on the road, but you just don't speed because you just never know who's looking. So it's not the best uh, analogy, but it's a similar thing with lab results. Washington State, they're all public. Chances are very few people are looking at these, right? We're looking at them, but scantily, right? I've only got so much time in my day. Um, and so I only do like a really thorough look at the Washington lab results 
I don't know, maybe once every few months, once a year. So I'm only doing a small look, but they don't know. They don't know who's looking. Um, it could be, you know, Jim McRae, who I think has a company, Straight Line Analytics, and he's been looking at these for a long time. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, remember a good friend Isaac in Massachusetts, maybe he's looking at them or Candace. So it really anyone all over the world could be looking at these lab results. Maybe nobody is, but just the, the thought that, ooh, somebody could look at these and call me out if I'm not doing it properly. I think that puts the right incentive in place where the laboratories you know, they button up and they, you know, they, they follow the book. They do everything by the rules because, you know, who knows who's going to be looking at the certificate and nitpicking it. Um, so, so anywho, let's get to the more fun stuff now, the actual data science. But I just kind of wanted to, to call, uh, to call this to your attention because once again, this bill may not go anywhere. So just be prepared for that. Because as I said, who is actually the one who's going to be held to the fire? It's really the regulators, right? Because they already have that data. This is just a bill for the public to be able to see that data. Um, and so the regulators may not be thrilled about that. Um, so we'll see how things materialize. But we don't, as I said, the, the public are the movers and the shakers. So I'll show you basically how the public's moving the ball forward in Florida and how there's still a little, a little uh, room to go. So I'll just share with you real quick. Also, before I dive into this, I know I've been talking uh, a long time. Robert, May, or Rick, would you all want to chime in or have any thoughts on this while I start to change gears a little bit? No, uh, I'm good. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, yeah, one very brief thing is uh, I looked at the uh, the Washington lab results, and I, I mentioned that one technical item where the uh, results column had a list of lists and I used Python and it took me literally or it took the, the computer, a brand new laptop with an i9 uh, to iterate through 10,000 records. Uh, it took almost 24 hours. So now I have like a million rows of of uh, that lab result column that's been extracted into a uh, proper database format. So I'll get you the rest of it, but just as an interesting experiment, you know, it took me a while to loop through all of that. Um, so it should be a lot of interesting data there. And, uh, you know, so I'll mix it in with my data science classes. So it's good to have, you know, a second computer going while I'm studying on the other stuff. So, yeah, I'll, I'll get some good info to you real soon here. And I love it. So, so Robert's taking a look at these Washington lab results. And 
there's a lot of data there because it's basically every time a sample is sent into the laboratory there's so many data points that are generated right it's getting screened for cannabinoids potentially residual solvents foreign matter moisture water activity maybe microtoxins microbes and then pesticides so you know between all of these you could easily get close to 100 or maybe sometimes more than 100 analytes that were tested and that's why i think this is such rich valuable data that i think a lot of you awesome data science scientists should should look at because there's a lot there and i don't know my uh, my first take is maybe we we haven't fully understood all of this this data so that that's what we're after but thank you for your noble work rick um basically organizing standardizing and making the data accessible is what it's all about so you did a lot of the hard work however now that you've got it in a nice i think sql table hopefully you can start doing queries and start asking and answering interesting questions yep definitely Ooh. well on that note let me share my screen with you and get you 1200 more messy laboratory samples um and you know once again that's probably you know north we're close to 10,000 or more analytes that were tested um maybe a little shy of that but I'm barely, barely getting to it all. Okay, so speaking of lots and lots of data points, in, say, Florida, this is what you'd be looking to get. So if you purchased this Khalifa Kush ape produced by True Leave, I guess we don't know where this sold, but you know what one of the medical dispensaries in Florida you'd want to try to get a hold of this as a good data steward and as Candace mentioned you know Candace uh, is a medical patient in Florida wouldn't mind I think right trying to just track your consumption of cannabinoids and also ideally you know make sure you know you're not consuming any uh, contaminants or at least keeping your contaminant consumption to a minimum right you want to minimize that it, um, as much as possible and and we pointed out in previous meetups how flour in particular but most cannabis products I think edibles are the most stable but even concentrates there's a good amount of variability but right in this eighth right so this is 3.5 grams so we've got milligrams per gram here so actually do i even have uh, a script open here let's go ahead and open up a script here so we can start doing some interesting things while we uh while we talk about the data the first one's just do a little bit of math right so what there is about uh 314 milligrams per gram of 
of THCA. Phenomenal. So that's, if you purchase this flower, you would be getting almost a little bit more than one gram of THCA. So we've mentioned in the past that say you're trying to regulate your consumption of THCA, or maybe you're trying to regulate your consumption of CBG. Well, you'll have to, you know, basically do, you know, a little bit of math. Maybe, maybe you've got, uh, you know, uh, a set of scales or what have you. Um, and, you know, you can, uh, you know, a lot various portions of this eighth, uh, or, or I was just looking at like daily consumption. So maybe, uh, you just kind of want to, to trend over time, but regardless, the first step is just getting this data. Um, so like I said, lots of cool things you can do with it, um, or interesting and enlightening and helpful things that you can do with the data. But as I said, first things first, you need to get it. So in Florida, people have been asking for this a lot, a lot, a lot. And now they're starting to put, you know, QR codes right on the label. You scan the QR code and ideally you get this certificate. And why do you want this certificate? Because you've got the cannabinoids. Notice here real quick, terpene summary. So ideally, you actually want to scroll down here and get the full list of all the terpenes. Because remember, a non-detect is in fact a data point because, right, there was, for example, there was no, I think this is, you know, Delta 3 K-Rene. Uh, or alpha cedrine or alpha philandrine or alpha terpenine, right? That's an interesting one. I think you'd want to know that there's no alpha terpenine in this, right? So if you just look at the terpene summary, you know which terpenes are in it, but you don't know which ones weren't detected. So already you gain a little bit of knowledge by, by no, by knowing the non-detects because maybe they just didn't even test for alpha terpenine because then it may be in there it may not be they didn't test for it so i think this will be useful data moving forward because as we're well as i'm uh, kind of finding out like at these cannabis science conferences and things people are discovering more and more terpenes and you know which ones are significant um and interesting to look for so that's one thing, a data point that's, you know, worth writing down is the moisture content because there are scientists out there who think that if you were going to, and once again, I'm, I, I think there's, uh, well, like I said, there are scientists who make the argument that, you know, if you're going to compare different flowers, it's pretty standard with botanical products to adjust for the moisture content because I think the idea is this 3.5 grams 
of Khalifa Kush is, where is that number? Is 13.28% water. So, you know, of your 3.5 grams, is that right? You're uh, going to be getting almost half a gram of water. Um, that's what it is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a flour product. Um, so, uh, you know, so technically, uh, I don't know. Uh, once again, I need to need to think about think about this number more. But once again, it's worth jotting down because you know now you can at least know sort of the moisture content in your flour. Ooh, thought, comment, question? Yeah, it's. I was just curious, uh, the moisture content, if anyone knows if there are terpenes that, that could be lost due to evaporation, and so that could, maybe that lower moisture content, that terpene wouldn't show up, but a higher moisture content means that it was preserved. Uh, is that Does that make sense? I'm just trying to, okay, trying so to we come up with a use case of where the moisture um, percentage would uh, we compare it with something else to to maybe uh, extract some insight so this may not be super reassuring but from my understanding some of these terpenes um maybe are readily evaporating at room temperature and um, so i think that's even like what gives cannabis its smell so if you and we're, we'll talk about this momentarily like like Someone had mentioned garlic, uh, these garlic strains. From my understanding, you know, if you smell a really strong garlic strain and, you know, it's got a distinct smell, those are the actual terpenes. Um, I forget what the correct word is, uh, maybe aromatizing, but they're basically evaporating off of the plant and going up your nose in small amounts. So I guess the way I picture it is like almost if you're holding a cannabis flower, you know, you can't see it, but I would imagine there's just almost just like fumes coming off of the flower, right? And so like, you know, dogs can, you know, smell smell the cannabis flower. Um, so so you almost, I guess, want to think about this as like a snapshot in time. So it's like they got the flower, you know, they got it to the lab, you know, the second they extracted it, put it in the the diluent, so maybe they put it in methanol or acetonitrile, or maybe it's just going straight onto the GC. So it's just, uh, which is just, they, from my understanding, I think you just put a little bit of flour in a little capsule, and then that basically just gets heated right onto the instrument. So, so it's basically, so as to your question, like this actual percentage, I think is a little snapshot in time. And um, so this is probably always going to be kind of diminishing as time goes on. Does water affect the rate this diminishes? I have no idea. Um, I don't think like the terpenes would be like in the water themselves, right? The, the terpenes, I don't know where in the plant they actually are. They may be in the trichomes. Um, but a hypothesis is that 
you know, maybe, you know, this is a compact flower bud. Maybe if there's like moisture in there, like little H2O molecules in there, maybe that just, you know, prevents uh, some of the terpenes from evaporating. But who knows? That's just a pure conjecture. Um, so that's actually a real interesting question and maybe room for some some research. Yeah, definitely. The, the reason I asked is I uh, had talked to some guys that had inside information on whether or not the moisture content uh, affected THC levels in lab results. Now, this was a few years back, so this might not be the case anymore, but it, it seemed that there was kind of a golden area of moisture when submitting uh, your flower that would yield better or higher THC results. So I was just curious if there was like a, you know, something similar with, with terpenes as well. Um, but and that could even be a quirk of the actual lab testing itself um because it's it's a non-trivial thing to actually test cannabis flower because from my understanding like the the flower has a lot of like fats and lipids and as we pointed out it's got out of the 3.5 grams you know like, uh, half a gram of water itself so it's when you're testing this, um, you're basically just putting the whole concoction of the flower plant itself onto the scientific instrument. So um, I think there's techniques you can do to try to get rid of some of the fats and lipids and things. Um, but it it could eat, it could be it could almost just cause maybe inaccuracies in the testing. Maybe I don't know. Um, so. The, the yeah, I didn't get a very scientific explanation from from him. It was almost kind of like a wise tale type of a thing, but he believed that it worked and and went by that. Um, but he didn't have any like you know actual data that he was looking at or anything. So yeah, like you said, it's an interesting uh, point for research. So don't want to take us down any further down that rabbit hole, but yeah, I'll, I'll look into it and see if I find anything interesting. Please look into it, Rick, because obviously this was of importance to uh to the producer right this was something they look for when they're you know trying to send their sample in for testing which is you know, pretty important to people and so why it may work it could be a couple factors one you know it could actually be something structural right maybe there is something about the water and the terpenes and then there also could just be the maybe there's some quirk in testing where maybe there's a the way the labs calibrate their instruments maybe they can handle handle certain levels of moisture better than others but but anywho as as i said the, the jury's still out so that's why I get the data so that way you can do some statistics on it um and i always found this interesting because I actually tested moisture content at a laboratory and it's it can be quite variable um it, and it's uh you know it's one of the things that you know the analyst you, you know knows that okay you know this is going to be you know quite variable and so the you know the analyst takes into consideration that okay you know you may want to give a little bit of wiggle room to this 13.28% number but the you know the producers they put so much faith 
uh, into these numbers sometimes. Um, and so sometimes that's where uh, there's a little miscommunication, I think. Um, because, you know, maybe the producer is putting a lot of weight into the 13.28, but from the laboratory's point of view, it's not really statistically different than the, say, 13%, because they may have a, an internal laboratory margin of error. Um, so, so, so anywho, that's a tiny little data point, but when you want to get, um, let me uh, let in a, a guest real quick. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Oh, Hector's uh, joining us. Um, so, so anywho, want to get the the moisture content. Would would like to go ahead and get the the microbes and mycotoxins. It's interesting, kind of where I stand on these. Um, once again, uh, you know, you don't want moldy cannabis, and uh, that's I think definitely something you want to to watch out for. Personally, uh, I think uh, I don't know. I'm a, a thinking the the microbe screening is maybe going a little overboard, like a little overkill, uh, because basically, from my understanding, microbes are just ubiquitous right like i think they're like on the table they're on the food they're like they're in the you know they're in the air um so i think there's always maybe just a uh just maybe a small amount of them but it's just like you don't want a lot of mold so i think there's a, a giver a give and a take um so you, i guess you can't be too stringent uh, maybe because you'll be kind of getting uh maybe like a false positive in, in, in the sense that it's uh, maybe not like positively dangerous. Um, but once again, I'm gonna kind of defer this to some microbiologists and things, but um, I think it's at least looking at this data. Um, but uh, this is a landscape that's still developing because uh, there's pretty strong stances on both sides, but as I said, the, the one thing that we can do is just get the data um, and then people can look at it. And then the final thing are the, the pesticides. And these are what, and this is a data point that I feel pretty strongly about. Um, my, personally, I just am trying to avoid pesticides. I know they're out there, um, right? We talked about how these uh, like DDT um, breakdown chemicals are just still out there and they're just kind of hard to avoid. So I understand that, you know, there's maybe some, maybe some background contamination here and there. So you just like to keep that to a minimum. But the main thing is, you know, you know, uh, maybe uh, somebody's, you know, spraying a lot of one of these pesticides and another producer's not. Personally, and I don't know if these are permitted or completely banned. Um, so, in fact, I think even pesticide use in cannabis is uh, maybe a contentious topic because some people feel that you're not even supposed to use pesticides because they're tech. They made an argument that, you know, cannabis is such a gray area, but. I think maybe the FDA may have to approve, or maybe there's some regulatory body, maybe the Department of Agriculture. I don't know who does it, but I think somebody approves 
pesticides for use in various crops. So for example, I think the way they do this in Washington state is I think the Washington state department of agriculture has said that, okay, cannabis, uh, licensees are approved to use this subset of pesticides. Um, and so I don't know if they're allowed to technically use all of these or if maybe they're just screening for some of these for safety sake. So once again, that's sort of where my knowledge ends and then I encourage you to kind of do your own research to fill in the gaps. Um, okay, so why am I droning on about all these data points? Well, because Candace said that you know people have been asking for these. Well, one thing you have to look at the fine print for is this is a compliance test. So this was a test that was you know submitted to the state of Florida to say that the laboratory performed all of these tests. One thing I've noticed as we've gone about collecting these lab results is I keep seeing, and once again, this may be just a quirk of this uh, this one laboratory. However, I noticed, and I don't know if they all use this language. However, I want to say, I noticed at least three or four laboratories doing this practice where, look, this is the patient COA. And it does say that it was tested for these contaminants. And they do list the cannabinoids and the terpenes that were detected. But notice this. Where we don't have the results, right? There, all it says is pesticides were passed. You know, you know, it says the the moisture was passed, the microbes were passed, but we only have one page here. So unfortunately, this is sort of where, you know, you know, it, we're not it's, uh, you know, we're not over yet. Uh, you know, the, the struggle to get lab results is not over because if say the laboratory submitted this coa to the state of florida i don't think the state of florida would accept that they would be like um great but you're missing you know all the results so like so this is i think sort of why people have described it i think in the reddit forum is pulling teeth to get these lab results because it's just like, you know, the patients are like, we're demanding them, like, you know, like, come on, we want the lab results, we want the lab results, we want the lab results. And then they're like, okay, here are the lab results. But, you know, unless you're like, uh, you really, you know, know your stuff about laboratory testing, you wouldn't really know right off the bat that this isn't, in from my understanding, you know, this isn't like the actual coa that was submitted to the state of florida um from my from the look of this and this is once again my conjecture and we're we've basically uh there's a like an advocate in oregon and his big complaint is 
the the laboratories at the end of the day they make their money from selling this certificate uh, or selling this analyses and anyone who's in business knows that what what do you do in business you try to make your client happy so people are pestering true leave for lab results true leave notices okay you know other companies uh and in and, and once again i don't want to pick on true leave because here it actually is a full true leave coa um by acs laboratory so i don't know what exactly is going on here um and this one's even pretty recent um but but like i said i've seen this at other laboratories too and um, so I'll point you in the direction of those COAs, um, and then I'll get onto some fun stuff here in a second. But so I don't really want to pick on them for any reason. But my hypothesis of what may be going on here is people in Florida are asking for COAs. Some producers have started to provide those because there's pr pressure for them. Other producers want to provide them but they don't necessarily want to just show patients in Florida all of the contaminants because there may be, you know, a trace amount of, you know, abamectin or, you know, there may be, a, this one doesn't. See, this is a, a clean green. This is what, what I would like to look for. But once again, you know, it may have a tiny minuscule amount of one of these pesticides you know it still passes and you know that's okay and you know once again patients may or may not care but the point being is i don't think there's like a law in florida that says that you have to provide this to patients and so what it looks like to me is they're kind of trying to pass this off as the official coa because kind of satisfies uh what the the consumers are are after because most people they just want to know the cannabinoids and the top terpenes so this is phenomenal so as i said uh on the glass half full side i'll take it right i've said in the past any data is better than no data so you know bravo for you know at least providing us with you know the the cannabinoid and the terpene summary thought comment question it's uh yeah. hector does yes. the fact that cannabis is illegal federally cause problems on improving the pesticides yes it's a gray area someone in oregon who was a, a organic farmer so you know they're clearly biased uh, towards no pesticides but they made the argument that because it's federally illegal like i said i forget what the accrediting body is if it's the fda or the department of agriculture i think it's probably one of those but it could be another they basically approve certain pesticides for various crops and from my understanding if it's not approved by them you you know you're not allowed to use it i think basically you know just like cannabis, right? Cannabis is not federally permitted. Certain states like Washington have stepped in to say at a state level, our state is permitting it. So in Washington, 
I think they say, okay, we're permitting licenses to use these pesticides. So once again, the state may permit them to use the pesticides. Technically, the FDA or maybe the USDA could maybe go make a fuss about it. Um, I don't think they've done that from my understanding, but they may. Uh, once again, uh, it'd be a whole can of worms and I doubt like any regulator wants to go step in that. But uh, from my understanding, people are using pesticides, but as you pointed out, Hector, it's not clear if, if it's just like cannabis itself, you know, it's not really clear if it's permitted. Um, but, um, Thank you. But anywho, like I said, I think it's important to see the data because it's like pulling teeth uh you know the companies realized okay you know we can we can let people know the cannabinoids and terpenes without that affecting our bottom dollar and in some cases you know may actually be a marketing tool but it still seems that you know the producers and and um via the producers maybe the laboratories themselves because at the end of the day you know like i don't want to say that this is the case i'm trying to be careful with this but could be that maybe the producer said hey could you make us a coa that just has the cannabinoids and terpenes and the overall status and the lab's like yeah sure we can do that it's not breaking any rules we'll still submit this compliance test to the state and then you can show your patients uh, this coa once again it may be perfectly by the book but in my opinion, like Candace said at the very beginning, I think you should be able to see a very granular breakdown of what's in your products. So I think you should be able to get this full COA. Some cases you can. Um, and uh, once again, it's uh, sort of the panopticon approach. Maybe nobody ends up looking at your pesticide screening, but just the fact that they can look at it will make you check all your, you know, uh, dot all your I's, cross all your T's, make sure you're doing everything by the book because maybe nobody's looking, but you know, maybe, maybe they will check. So once again, I, I'm, so, so just to, to go ahead and just show you you know a little data with uh with the time that's left and then maybe i'll actually save um save some of it for next week since uh since we only have like five minutes left and i don't want to rush through it all um it's too much cool good material so i'll post it all to github so that way maybe you could look at it over the the next week because i've got some cool open ai um api uh queries that we can do um but they're they're not really on topic with what we were doing today so I, I can at least show you these florida lab results since that's what we were actually talking about um so once again this is the the most recent actually probably the most recent one's the one at the top um this is just the most recent observation i've collected from Florida. And if any of you are interested, um, you know, Canlytics has been 
writing these COA parsing algorithms. And we recently started with Florida. Uh, da, 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 da. And I've written in out a, a crude algorithm for Keisha Labs. And see, Keisha. And then one for ACS Laboratories. This, oh yeah. I don't have many. Uh, so here's a, a, a cake face flower. Uh, uh, and, you know, we're just collecting various data points about these. May have the, that's not the right one. Um, I may have the actual certificate here. I'd like to try to pull it up uh, if we can real quick. Um, so here's just a random one. We'll see if this is a full COA. See, this one's just a patient COA. Um, so as I said, I've, I've, I've observed a mix of them in Florida. Ideally, we would like to get the official compliance COA, the compliance test for this cake face um eighth because that way we could know all the pesticides and everything in it but okay that's okay once again as i said we'll this is an observation so we can at least observe this data so okay so this is a cake face flower various levels of cannabinoids uh, you know, 28% total THC, uh, almost 3% terpenes. So this is probably a flower that you would smell uh, when you open the jar, um, uh, I would assume. Uh, so, so anywho, you know, lots of cool data points here. As I said, you know, we're missing a bunch of the, the pesticides and things. Um, but uh, in some of the terpenes, but this is a work in progress. So I'm gonna share this data with you right after the meetup. And I'd encourage you all to, to look through it because you know, this is basically the cursory look I've been able to do. I've only really been able to basically just, I mean, you, you've already seen all the stuff I've figured out. I basically figured out that, okay, some are compliance tests and some are patient coas so, so that's as far as i've gotten um so that's what's what's interesting about this is although these are public um there's only so much time in the day so so maybe they're the acs laboratories and truly maybe they're scared to death about these lab results being out there but it's like you're maybe scared for no reason because it's like I, I haven't even had time to to barely look at these. Um, so once again, I, I encourage you all to take a look because like I said, there's no need to, uh, like I said, in fact, I even kind of applaud uh, True Leave and ACS Labs for just, just getting these out there. Like I said, right, they're doing a lot of things running the HP running the, I don't even know what this instrument is, the LCUV. Um, but, you know, they're they're running these, you know, the ICPMS. That's, uh, 
I want to say those may cost north of two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollars, and you probably need a specialized chemist to operate it, right? So, so that's what they're doing. They're running these scientific experiments, so or tests. So they only have so much time in their day. True Leaf is growing the actual cannabis, so they only have so much time in their day. So, okay, you know this is what they can do they can post it online awesome then we can run the final mile as robert is finding out sometimes it's a bit more than a mile um but uh we can run this last little distance you know get the lab results and now we can actually do something interesting with it so someone was mentioning garlic well, we know about the beta pinene to, to delimonene ratio. And so this is just the first thing that I look at when I'm trying to understand a variety. I'm sure there's a lot more to this. So I encourage you all to, to look at these garlic strains. But it's like, okay, I look at the beta pinene to delimonene ratio. Ba, ba, ba. It looks like they're kind of clustering around here, maybe 0 0.05 to 0 0.5. Um, okay, 0 0.05 to 0 0.5, about 0.1. Or this one, maybe 0 0.15 to 1.5, 0 0.15 to 1.5. Once again, close to about 0.1. So about a 1 to 10 beta pinene to delimonene ratio. So right off the bat, my Bayesian hypothesis is this is a super strong indica or what people would think of as an indica. So I kind of had a sneaking suspicion that may be the case, but now we actually have not many, but you know, we've got 12 observations right so before well we maybe had some in different states but in florida we had before this zero now we at least have 12 observations and once again these are rosins um so you'll have to look at the sample types and things like that but already i've never seen a ratio that low Remember, I was telling you that I thought maybe the strongest indica was around a 0.15. So now this is now, I think, the strongest indica that I have personally observed. So, so, so now that could maybe be an insight. Once again, take it with a grain of salt. Um, and I encourage you all to do your own analysis. But but now I kind of know. So it's like, okay, now when somebody says they've got, you know, garlic cake or garlic pop or garlic butter, before I had no idea if that was more on the sativa side or indica side. Now I'm kind of thinking, okay, maybe it's more on the indica side. You know, this one may put you to sleep. Uh, so once again, it may not. There's tons of more data exploration to do, but this is just, you know, a way that we can start making some rhyme or reason out of this.
So once again, you know, maybe various patients in Florida can augment this data. So maybe they're using all these samples. And then for each sample, maybe they're uh, journaling, okay, you know, I had a good effect with this one. I had a bad effect with this one. I had a good effect with that one, right? And then the patients could do their own personalized statistics. Because remember, 12, you only need eight observations to, uh, once again, I may be butchering this, but from my understanding, if you can predict all eight of eight perfectly, then I think you can be 95% confident. Um, I may be butchering those statistics. But, you know, if you were just rating these, you know, zero to one, you know, I like it or I don't like it. Um, and you could then build a model that perfectly predicts that if you like it or you don't like it. Um, and you can do it with a sample size of eight. I mean, you can do that, right? Um, but maybe. Uh, once again, it's always good to get your sample size large. Um, and we're going to be working on that. But... You can do a lot with a small sample. Um, so, so I'll save some of this, this cool AI material um, for you for next week because there's no way I'll be able to, to get through it all today. Um, and it's, it's, it's too much cool, good material uh, to rush through. I know I spent forever just talking about COAs and data this time. So maybe not uh, the funnest time ever. Um, Hopefully you found it interesting. Any thoughts, comments, questions? Um, I'll at least share the data set with you for coming um, and the code. I found it strange that they would have two different types of uh, COAs available, that they would even split the market that way by not giving everyone all the information. Excuse well, me. patients yes. in Florida have to request compliance reports. I haven't found that online, but I found uh, the compliance report on the uh, like Facebook group for the medical patients, and um, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of data there. The patients are, you know, kind of getting smart too. Plus, you know, people are wondering: Are there pesticides causing my stomach pain? Are the pesticides causing my lymph node issues? Right? I get it because there's some state weed that really makes my lymph nodes react and it never happens with my homegrown that's legal in Massachusetts. So, you know, as a patient, we really need to know about this, what's going on, how, you know, cause there's a lot of rushing and corner cutting, you know, with the state weed, Florida has a real problem, you know, people open it up and it's moldy and it's just, uh, you know, it, there are people that like keep saying, maybe we should stick with legacy. It might be healthier. But I don't do legacy, you know, in Florida. So I I have a card. Well, the the glass, uh, the, the bong half full on this one is the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And it's just like, we just have to keep trying. And I think I applaud all the, the patients in Florida, right? They've been squeaky. So they, right, first they were squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. They got medical cannabis. And they're awesome. Well, let's be squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. We want to know what's in our medical cannabis. Um, and like, it's kind of like pulling teeth. You know, it's slowly. But uh, and then uh, 
to get to Hector's point, you know, oh, it's uh, surprising that, you know, they are, you know, trying to withhold some of the lab results. And, you know, to me, it's not super surprising. I'm kind of like the the Massachusetts uh, pub, uh, public discussion where, you know, even the maybe the laboratories who are doing things correctly, they're just a, a little bit scared of people actually looking at the data. Um, and so, you know, the labs aren't thrilled about the idea of their data being out there. The producers aren't super thrilled about having their screening tests out there. But as Candace pointed out, you know, it should be something that the consumers can at least see, right? They may not all look into it in depth. You know, they may not uh, all be parsing COAs and applying statistics to them like we are, but you should at least be able to, you know, scan or at least put your eyeballs over the COA. And this is where we get back to just keep being squeaky and keep asking because unfortunately it may come down to the kind of like in Washington where there's actually just a state rule that says, yes, if a consumer asks for a COA, you do have to show it to them. So I think that may not be a law in Florida. So it just may be people are asking for them. The producers realize there's that pressure there and they're trying to they're trying to pass that one off. But we're smart, right? And that's where we get back to at the beginning, right? The public's smart. Um, and so it's, you know, we we figure that one out. It was like, it took me a second too. It was it was sort of a you know nice try. Um, you know, thank it's like thank you. You know, we, we do appreciate the the cannabinoids and terpenes. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, the right, it's up to the patients in Florida, you know, if they want this, keep asking for it. But that's the thing is, make sure to ask for the, com com we want to see the compliance test. Um, so, and so also now, too, because that way we could pick maybe a pesticide that we're not as allergic to, because you have to remember, patients, patients are where all this cannabis legalization were rooted from. And um, and we just need to know, we need to know the additives put in, you know, the non-natural, anything other than cannabis. Is it in the weed? Let us know. I don't know. I, I agree. I agree with you. And as I said, it, it's, a, it's a sticky issue, sticky subject. And the only thing I know to do is like, just keep asking, keep collecting data, keep using statistics. It's a slow, slow process, but if anything, I think the, the meeting in Massachusetts was sort of, you know, it's quite reassuring that we're on the right track. We're at least adding our voices to the conversation and, you know, helping people learn and find out more and encouraging people to ask questions. So, well, too cool. The, the lesson of the day today may be make sure to read the fine print um, or especially read the fine print. That's where a lot of the interesting details are hiding. Well, 
Thank you for staying extra long today. Thank you for coming, lending your eyes, your ears, your thoughts, questions, and keeping the conversation going. Thank you. Thanks, Keegan. Bye, everybody. See you next Until week. Until next week, everyone. Thank you. See you next week. Be productive.